0: Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Kelly Franco-Thrope. And this is episode 258. It's a date in October with KFT. We're getting close to October right now. School's starting in the south, not quite yet in the north. Uh, a little after Labor Day, they get going, but that air will get a little crisper up there. and We're starting to see some playoff races uh, take shape. Uh, but uh, today's show, we've got a, a little Fernando mania, a little discussion regarding what the Braves have mastermind in Atlanta and then uh, some, some Italian cuisine talk at the end. So with that, Kelly, welcome back to your show.
1: Dave, it's good to be here. How you been the past couple of weeks?
0: Doing well, uh, busy with the podcasting, of course, or we're, we're moving forward inch by inch with, with what we're doing. You and I had a pre-show discussion about um, what we're unveiling and we're getting close uh, and I'm excited about that. It's been a lot of, uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a nice, enjoyable journey and i think we're, we're we're hitting that tipping point right now where we're about to take those next steps so we're excited to be where we're at today and two weeks has been fruitful big listeners great shows and we're excited to have your show start our monday
1: awesome thanks so excited to start it with you
0: so with um with our text throughout the week i know you were looking to discuss a, uh, a 1980, I believe, phenomenon 8081 Fernando Mania. I, I lived through that. That was about the time when I that 7980 was about the time I started remembering baseball. Maybe it was really a 77. I kept. I was young, I was, uh, four at that time. But um, 798081, uh, you know, Fernando Mania. He he took America by storm and probably brought baseball into Mexico um, at a higher higher level and gave some kids some hope down there.
1: Sure did. And it was such an exciting time. And it was in the news the past 10 days or so because the Dodgers just retired Fernando Valenzuela's number. And it brought me back. And one of the main reasons it brought me back was because I was 11 years old in 1981, which was his official rookie year and my oldest brother had bought me a complete set of the fleer baseball cards i don't know if you remember those they were a little bit of a flash in the pan
0: oh yeah yep the
1: the fleer rookie card for fernando valenzuela they didn't print the o at the end of his name and you know i'm just a kid but my older brother was like you know that might be worth something because it made an error it's called an error card and in my little mind, I thought, oh my God, I am just going to be a millionaire someday because of this card. You know how when you're a kid, things just grow in your mind and you get so excited about them. And uh, so I went and I looked it up. I know it's somewhere in my attic because I never gave away any of my cards. But I went and I looked it up and I saw it on eBay for $4.99. So that was kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah, it's funny with baseball cards. I I was a collector too. And yeah, Fleer was kind of that flash in the pan. Tops was the the one during my early childhood. They went, I think went to Don Ross and then Opici made a comeback. And, um, but yeah, the, I remember the card, my my big card, I remember when Don Mattingly was, just was flowing during that mid eighties time, his rookie card went up to, I think it was, you know, high two hundreds and, you know, thought it was rich. And then all of a sudden he had the back injury and it went from two something to about 25 bucks in in a matter of months. So it's funny, just that cardboard, it's it, it really, I mean, not to break it down, I love I love my baseball cards, but that cardboard is a lot like the stock market. It's it's perception. You know, what does it mean to somebody? So yeah, but Fernando was, he was, uh, that's a great gift by your brother, by the way. Um, and uh, Fernando was as tough as they come. He had that little, he, had, he was known for his delivery. He would look straight up into his baseball cap and people used to joke that there was an arrow up there pointing him in the direction of home plate.
1: Well, it is interesting how he had tremendous numbers. He started off the season 8 0. Five of those were shutouts, and he had a 0.5 ERA. But compounded with that was that he came out of nowhere. So that was 81. He had had a few relief appearances in 1980, but he pretty much came out of nowhere. So if you had someone. You know, in our day, if, you know, Greg Maddox had done this, or in current day, if, you know, Verlander did it or Kershaw did it, we would have been like, oh, yeah, we know those guys. But nobody had heard of Fernando Valenzuela. So he truly took the country by storm. It was Fernando Mania. And like you mentioned, it wasn't just the numbers; it was his style. He had that funky windup, and his eyes would roll back into his head, and he threw the screwball. It oh, was yeah, that's right. Package.
0: Yep, the screwball. I forgot about that. That was something that was it had been around for a while, but never really popularized. And and you know, he and he he had that. How do I say this? I'm probably going to offend somebody, but he had that odd shaped body too. He had the real skinny little legs. But he had almost like uh, one of the incredible characters, the Mr. Incredible, real skinny legs and that big, thick barrel uh-huh. midsection. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, he, he was very effective as a pitcher for that short stint. Uh, what didn't end up going, going long term, but I'm glad the Dodgers recognized him. I, I would have thought his uniform would have been retired by now.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I guess the Dodgers have as a criteria, one of their criteria, that the player be in the Hall of Fame before they retire the number.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, um, but there was one other exception. I had to look him up. I have to admit I didn't know who it was. Jim Gillian, I guess he's the other Dodger who is has a retired number but is not in the Hall of Fame. He was on the 55 Dodgers, and I guess he was a really versatile player, and he died of a brain hemorrhage at age 49. So they've retired his number and Fernando's. And those two players are not in the hall. All their other retired numbers are.
0: Yeah. I, I, that's a, I think that's an interesting criteria for the Dodgers. The Yankees obviously are a little different. They have their, their own rationale for retiring numbers and monuments and whatnot. And both storied franchises. What was the, what was the push for Fernando? Did, did, did any of the articles say like, why now? Like what, what was, and I, we, we know we grew up during that time. We were both about the same age during that, that time period. So, I mean, Fernando Mania, he was on every... I mean, he was commercials, cereal boxes. uh, He was on This Week in Baseball. I mean, he was everywhere with that. And every kid was resembling his little delivery and wanted to learn the screwball.
1: Yeah, and I think that there was... Perhaps this was delayed, but I think there's a recognition that Fernando was not only good, but he was a charismatic figure who expanded the fan base into Mexico. And I think that there is... Um, an emotional recognition of that, like what he represents to Mexican fans. And there's also a business side of it. MLB expanded their business. They like that.
0: Yeah, he certainly. And that was kind of what we were talking a little bit about that before the show, excellence versus influence. Uh, Fernando obviously had a, a stint where he was excellent, but his influence on baseball and the money he brought to it and again, I don't know the numbers, but he did wake up an entire country um, very close to Dodgerland, And I'm sure that helped line the pockets and pocketbooks of a lot of Dodger brass.
1: And just so all of our viewers are prepared in case the trivia question comes up. He was the first and still the only player to win the NL Cy Young and the Rookie of the Year in the same year. Wow. So I want everyone to be prepared in case they're in a bar that could get you a free beer one night.
0: Yep, or Applebee's, you get a free app if you're <laughs> if you're there. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't know that one. I would have guessed several before him, but that's definitely that'll definitely be a Jeopardy question. You know that. That'll be on there. And um is he still involved with the Dodgers? Do you know, is he in community outreach? Do they keep him on as kind of an advisor? Is he kind of sailed off into the sunset?
1: You know, that's a great uh, question and I don't know the answer to it.
0: Yeah. We'll have to look that up. One of our audience members, please look that up for us after listening and get back to us on <laughs> social. They, Hey, these, I'll tell you what, our audience is sophisticated. They're engaged. Um, we we love them the pieces and they 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 love to do stuff like that. They'll I'll get I'll, I'll get at least fifty people getting back to me on different things. Somebody may have seen them at uh, the Wind Dixie too. They'll let me know everywhere with Fernando. So that's a, that's a great uh, piece of information. I'm, I'm glad they retired. He was a big part of my childhood following baseball. Sounds like he was one of yours, and we'll keep an eye on that defunct card that you got um, yeah. with no O on the Fernando. But there's also, you know, they, you're right with the the air cards. You have one of Hank Aaron where he was hitting left-handed. I don't know if you've ever seen that one um, in the baseball card. I guess when they took the photo, it reversed his image. No. So okay. And um, there's one of Billy Ripken, a famous one where um, he had a nickname that's that uh, I won't say on the air because we'll get flagged. But it was a, a bad word that started with the letter F. And uh, he did a baseball pose for one of his cards with his middle finger down the bat. He says it's unintentional. Some think it was intentional. He had a funny personality. So, but that one is one that they took off quick, but it's a popular card. And I think that one's actually worth a little bit more money than the normal Billy Ripken card. One of my favorite analysts, by the way. But, uh, well, let's, let's move into our, the, the crux of the show here. I I thought real perceptive. You got a great business mind. You, You see things from a whole different perspective. Um, than, than our other shows. But it, it's, it seamlessly streams into our other commentary. You, you wanted to chat a little bit about the, the genius that is the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, he signed all these young players, the best team in baseball, I think right now, um, if it's not record-wise, at least watching them. And all these young players are signed, sealed, delivered for a long period of time. And you wanted to kind of get into the nitty gritty of that, into how, why, and who, really.
1: Yeah, the Braves. Let me tell you, love them or hate them. They do it right. You've got to tip your cap. And I think it's Alex Anthopoulos who is leading the way on locking up these young players. I learned an interesting tidbit before we get into the signing of the young players is that the Atlanta Braves are actually publicly traded as of a month ago. Did you know this? No, I did not. Yeah. So they used to be owned by Liberty Media. But the shareholders approved a split of the baseball team into its own entity, which is Atlanta Braves Holdings. And Atlanta Braves Holdings, ABH, includes the team and the real estate development known as the Battery, which is, I guess, Truist Park and the area around it. Oh, yeah. Atlanta Braves Holdings is publicly traded as of July 2023. So, Dave, you can buy stock in the Braves if you want.
0: Yeah, I'm... I'm, uh... I'm not one to play the stock market, but it sounds enticing. Based on, you know, we we again we were talking about a little bit before the show. It's funny how it, it kind of comes into the show. When you're investing in something, you want to see, you want to look into the future, and you want to see two and a half to five percent increase in your money, and over time. And the way Alex Anthopoulos has contracted these players, it's not that any other baseball team would be hard to do, but how he's what work with the contracts and the young talent they have and the cohesiveness that may be the one stock i may take a look at because you can look into the future you know guys stay healthy of course but they seem to have contingency plans left and right
1: do they ever and i i thought we'd start out with just a little primer because I think a lot of our listeners might know this, but some might not. And I always like to include casual fans. So the kind of backdrop to Alex Anthopoulos, the GM of the Braves signing these players while they're still young is you, listeners have to understand that players with fewer than six years of major league service are under club control. So that's just the way your first six years in the major leagues are. So during this period A team can, at the end of the season, tender the players, which means they ask the player to stay on the team and they agree to agree on a contract at some point in the future. Or the player can be non-tendered, which means the club won't commit to a contract and the player negotiates with other teams. And so the player is under this club control for six years at the beginning of their MLB career. And what the Braves have done is zero in on the young players while they're still in this six-year period of club control. And they zero in on the players in whom they see potential. And they sign them to long-term contracts that go beyond the six years of club control. So they're essentially locked up before they ever face, for example, an arbitration or the tender, non-tender issue. And their pattern is pretty good so far. There's obviously a risk reward on this. The risk is that the team bets on the wrong horse. They zero in on a player and give them a long-term contract that doesn't pan out. Um, And maybe in that case, the team would have overpaid for them. But the reward is that if the players do excel, then the Braves have them committed for a long term for less than they would have paid to get a free agent on the open market.
0: Yeah, it's certainly foresight. And I don't know that there's been another team that has done this where, you know, we look back and say, well, Alex Anthopoulos is copying the mode of whoever. I think it's it's something ingenious. I think he took a look at the landscape of Major League Baseball contracts. And it, it is the land of, you know, we're, we're seeing guys signed in their late 20s for 10, 12 years. To me, those are crazy because, I mean, there's a down there's a downslide after four. So they're getting you know six, seven, eight years of just mediocre to bad baseball. But now he's doing that early in guys' careers where he's getting them in their prime and he's getting them really, I mean, not that it's pennies on the dollar, but as you said, it's it's cheaper than free
1: agents too. It's reasonable. I mean, that's the thing. He's getting reasonably priced contracts. And Dave, in our last show, two weeks ago, we did the post-mortem on the trade deadline. And we talked about how some teams had traded away big established stars to get prospects in return. And I really valued your opinion on prospects because I asked you, I said, Dave, how do you know if these prospects are any good because they haven't faced major league pitching or if they're a pitcher, they haven't faced major league hitting. And I don't know if you remember what you said to me.
0: I think I compared it to popcorn, right? Popcorn. Sometimes that's my favorite. Yeah, it's sometimes a popcorn pops, sometimes it doesn't. And I, I hear guys all the time and I'm, I'm in that. I've been in that line of work for forever. And, you know, the best you can do is take a look at the external tools and then really get to know the person internally enough. But it's impossible. It, it's not a linear process. It's never A to B to C to D. It's really the, the biggest component outside the physical skills is have, how will this individual deal with having weaknesses exposed? And how will this individual deal with mistakes? And how will this individual deal with extreme success, which sometimes translates to an exorbitant amount of money? And, um, those are, those are things we just don't know until we're put into those situations because major league baseball players, and I, I joke with my friends that, that never played or never coached. And they often are wondering like, Hey, uh, you know, we can, we can, uh, we can get on that guy anytime he wants. And it's like, well, how do you think, how would it be for you as an accountant that you showed up to work every day and somebody was in your face with a camera talking about all the mistakes you made? Oh, we had to erase, to erase another one right there. Oh, misallocated funds here. Like every little thing you do is under a microscope and it's on social media real time. So um, there's, that, that's a lot for somebody to handle every day. Because and the answer back is, well, I'm on social media. Yes, voluntarily. But these guys are on social media on their own, but they also have, everybody and their brother picking them apart day and night. So that's, that's a component that is new to everything. But yeah, I think that the popcorn in the pan is, is, is an accurate assessment. It's just, you really don't know. And I laugh at these people that sit across from families and say, you're going to be a number one draft pick, or you're going to be a 10 year veteran. They don't know. They really don't. They, they, they can use their expertise, which I value, especially scouts. Um, I value Scout's expertise because of anybody, the ones that have done it for a lifetime and have been there, they've seen the ones. They can draw the comparison. So I trust their eyes and gut more than anything else. But in the end, it's it's tough because you don't know what's going to affect that, that guy down the road because it is not linear.
1: And I really enjoy your insight on that because you have first-hand experience. And I love the fact that Many of the things that you focused on in terms of trying to figure out if prospects would make it weren't actual skill. They were actually emotional aspects of the game, how they would deal with success, how they would deal with failure. That's fascinating to me.
0: Well, it's it's probably not all that different than any other profession. I mean, with you being an attorney by trade, there's going to be wins and losses. There's going to be ups and downs. And the, the difference with the athlete is that stuff's magnified and athletes that have reached that level of success I mean there's very few that get to play for money and there's very few that make it to the majors and even less that you know become all-stars unless that become hall of famers and with that comes ego and um, but you've got to be really resilient to make it that far but the, the mistakes on you know the everyday person or someone, you know, like your, your, possession is, is pressure packed. I'm sure you have clients that are relying upon you. You're in front of a judge. You have another attorney that's trying to poke holes in your case. There's pressure every turn. Um, these, these guys are, and I don't think they're ready for it. Sometimes everything they do is magnified, both positive and negative. And, you know, if you don't have that super filter, boy, it's a tough, uh, it's tough to navigate, but yeah, if you can get through all that stuff and it's about skill, that's the fun part. That's where, um, that's where it's much easier to tell because skill can be developed. Skill can be judged based on you know. You look at parents. How big is this kid going to be? Well, if mom and dad are five five, you're probably not going to be six five. Um, you know, just a guess. I'm not a doctor, but so some of that, that that when when you make it just about skill and you get through all the noise, that that's when you can start getting down to who can make it and who can't. Who's got the best shot?
1: And so to bring it back to the Braves, I think that one thing they've done, which fascinates me, is they haven't signed these players when they're raw prospects. They have let them play in the majors for short periods of time, maybe three months, maybe a year. And then they decide, you know what, this is the person we're going to sign. And so they have a little glimpse of the major league experience.
0: Yeah. And I'm... I'm Trying to remember the name, but they had a oh kid Vaughn last year, Vaughn Grissom, mm-hmm. played second base for him last year with the absence of Ozzy Albie's, and phenomenal job. I don't know if it, it wasn't planned because Albie's went down; he was maybe going to be brought up as a utility guy. Didn't miss a beat. He was up there around three hundred. Great glove at second base, and then with the loss of Dansby Swanson, there was talk of moving him into the shortstop role, and he hasn't sniffed an inning. I don't believe in Major League Baseball this year. They put him back down to the minors. And they picked up uh, Arcia as their shortstop right now, and, and he was an all-star this year as a free agent. But to your point, that's the case in point. Vaughn Grissom had a phenomenal year filling in for Ozzy Albie's, and they didn't overreact and say, "Okay, that's our." That's not. Not only did he do great at second, but that's our new shortstop. They put him back down. He probably had some things to develop. They wanted to make sure physical, but I'm I'm guessing some of it was emotional and some of it was letting him get his you know. 1,500 at-bats and in the minors before we throw him up there full-time. I think he's still 22 years old um, in that. But that'll be the next – I think that'll be the next Braves star, Vaughn Grissom.
1: And you mentioned Arcia and how he took Dansby Swanson's place. And I think that's a really interesting fact about the Braves, what you just said about them not overreacting they're pretty cool as cucumbers during this process. They're not afraid to let people go. They let Dance B. Swanson walk. Um, they let Orlando Arcia take over. They signed him to not a huge contract, three-year contract for seven point three million, right before this season, and that'll go through twenty twenty-five. There's a club option for twenty twenty-six on Arcia, so that those aren't huge numbers. But it shows that the Braves are not afraid to let a star free agent walk away and try someone who's untested.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a that is um how would you describe it? That's the confidence of a system. That's the confidence confidence of a clubhouse. And the thing that I think a lot of the guys on our network talk about that analytics can't touch on, and that's the the camaraderie, the um, having a system, a program in place, leadership, not just veteran leadership, but coaching leadership and, and upper management leadership. And that the Braves have been a model of consistency for quite some time. We had Leo Mazzoni on Cup uh, two times in the last couple of weeks that, that, when you would ask how the two weeks were. And I, if we remember when the Braves won, what, 12 straight division titles? At oh,
1: yeah, team. in the 90s. They were unstoppable.
0: So some, Something good is going on down there and – when you're looking at success of a franchise, I know everybody, we, we're banging on the, we bang on the Yankees daily, I think. It's, a, it's the new national pastime. But the Braves have a, a clear line of sight. Take it with any business. You, you run a business too. When you have a clear line of sight from ownership to the next level of management to the people who are you know in the trenches every day, it's usually going to meet with success because everybody's flying in the same direction. The Braves are in a, just epitome of that.
1: They truly are. And I think you're right. I think it's a credit to the club from the top to the bottom. And Freddie Freeman walked a couple of years ago. Remember that? And oh, yeah. Now, he was a homegrown star. He was a homegrown brave. And he was a free agent when they signed Matt Olson. And he is doing tremendous. He is signed through 2029. Again, there's a club option for 2030 on Matt Olson, And he is tied with Otani for home runs this year. He's a consistent player. They signed him before the 2022 season. They had traded for him from the A's before 2022. And the next day, they signed him to an eight-year, $168 million contract. So they have him locked up with the club option through 2030. When they signed him, he would not have been eligible for free agency until after the 2023 season. So again, they signed him before he tested the free agent waters, and he got a good contract, but still he didn't test the market. And it just shows that if, you know, the Jackson 5 – you know, they said never can say goodbye, but the Braves, they can say goodbye because they were like, Freddie Freeman, goodbye. Matt Olson, hello.
0: And that was new for them because they, they were very, they've always been big on, if you look at their signees going back to guys like Chipper Jones way back when, Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves, they take care of their backyard. They signed Georgia kids and Georgia's got great baseball, grassroots all the way up to the college level. Um, and the Braves have done a wonderful job of scouting their backyard. And I mean, you see it with attendance there. You see it with community support, and you see it. We you know the new the new parks built, even though it was down in Fulton, Fulton County Stadium. That was a a great ballpark as well. But yeah, these guys are all Georgia guys uh, that they they took care of their backyards, and that's where I, I I caution the analytics world. Scouts took care of their backyard, and and bringing those type of guys in has helped create that family feel with Atlanta. But you're right, they. They now have, they, they reinvented the way contracts are signed. They found a way to, to to not just take care of their young guys, but do a cost effective and keep them together and build a, build a team. But nobody thought that they were going to get rid of Freddie Freeman or that they would part ways and then get married to somebody else so quickly, Matt Olson, who's, to his credit, has done a great job this year.
1: He's done a great job this year. And you're right. He is from Georgia. And also Michael Harris II, the their center fielder, is from Georgia.
0: Oh, I love him. He's you're good, 100%
1: dude. right about protecting the backyard. And so Harris is, and as you can hear, I have a little construction going on here.
0: We see uh, the law firm is expanding. Huh? More partners, you're adding?
1: Right, right. And I've broken out my personal jackhammer. So all five feet of me is uh, running that thing right now.
0: I hope that's the balcony they're building for your new office.
1: <laughs> so Michael Harris, the second, their center fielder, signed through 2030, plus a two year club option, so it could be 2032. He signed an eight year, $72 million deal during the 2022 season. And Dave, they signed it three months into Harris's major league career. So he started the twenty twenty two season in double A and he ended it with a huge contract with the Braves.
0: Yeah, and he's he's delivered. He's they actually he's been batting at the end of the lineup, but they moved them up on occasion where Acuña's out, they'll put him in the leadoff spot. And he's got a great lefty stroke. I like his approach to the plate. Moves the ball around, the field. I think he's getting I think he's moving up in the 280 range right now. So he appreciates putting the ball in play, but plays a great center field. I love his glove in center. And uh, him and Acuña are going to be a, a dynamic duo out there for a long time and the guy to their left, um, Eddie Rosario, free agent pickup, that to me is the key. They they they're good at locking him in, but then they plug that that veteran in there, that Eddie Rosario, who's a middle of the lineup guy, doesn't strike out, catches the ball in his area, um, you know, doesn't doesn't um, doesn't miss cutoffs, throws ahead of runners. He, he's a great veteran out there. I think they stole him from the Twins, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, a guy like him, and then you look at a, a a budding star like Austin Riley, who plays in front of him at third base. Nobody's talking about him for MVP this year. And to me, he's one of the most consistent players in baseball.
1: He's really good. And he's actually another Southern boy. He's from Mississippi. He's not a Georgia boy, but he's a Mississippi boy. And he got a big contract um, and he's good. He is, I think he signed, oh, 10 year, 212 million contract that started this year. He signed it in 2022, when he would not have been a free agent for another three seasons. So again, they got another star and he is going to be a star without testing the free agent waters. And he, with the 10-year contract, he signed up until 2033. Dave, where are you going to be in 2033? Do you know? It's 10 years away.
0: Yeah. I'm. Well, we're not moving anymore, so we'll be where we're at located, but I can't guarantee we'll be in the same house. And I am the wrong person to ask because if you go back through my uh, coaching career, I was I was very good at staying a step ahead of the posse. So our children, our oldest child, I think has lived in and again you stay in probably he's fifteen, probably ten different houses in his short little life. So wow. Um, so yeah, I am the wrong person to ask on that. So I am going to respectfully say, I know I'll be here. We're not moving, but I don't, I I don't know, I don't. So that's uh, the Braves know though; they know where they're going to be.
1: Yeah, we'll be doing podcast number 1.2 million of Real Voices of the Game.
0: Yeah, hopefully there'll be a TV show by then.
1: (laughs) You you mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr. He is really an incredible example of the Braves zeroing in on a young star. He was Rookie of the Year in 2018, and he signed his 10-year... an eight-year, $100 million contract to begin the 2019 season. And at that point, he only had 165 days of major league service. So again, the Braves get this uh, glimpse of the kid playing in the majors. They like what they see, and they tie him up. So they got eight years, $100 million for him, but then there are club options for 2027 and 2028. And Dave, one thing I saw when I was doing this research Is that the Braves seem to put a bow on all these contracts with a club option for a year or two. And again, for our casual fans who might not understand options totally, you got three kinds you got the club option, you got the player option, and then you have mutual options. And the club options are renewable at the sole discretion of the club. Sometimes they have a buyout if the club does not exercise the option, but sometimes they don't. And so the Braves have given themselves a tremendous amount of control at the end of all these contracts to keep the player for another year or two if they want.
0: Yeah. And what's the, I guess, what's the sell on that? I mean, if you could speculate where they, I guess they're giving them a lot of years They're, I mean, they're saying, well, if we like you, we'll give you, you know, another year or two. How do they sell that to, to a young player? I, to me, it's, I guess if I'm a young player, I want that security to know where I'm going to be, to know that I can produce. And if you do know where you're going to produce, know where you're going to play, there's a comfort zone, you're probably going to put up better numbers. Uh, But you know, in terms of getting that little cherry on top for them, that's amazing that they were able to get that.
1: Well, it is. And one of the ways you can negotiate it is by putting in the buyout. So if they don't exercise the option, say there's a $5 million buyout on it, then that's not too shabby either. The player gets $5 million for not working. So not a not a bad deal.
0: Yeah, I'd like that one. I would like to get that one.
1: But, you know, you mentioned security. And I think that that's also a huge part of the psyche of signing these contracts. Because if you look at Ozzy Albies, he signed through 2025. And again, they're club options for 2026 and 2027. So it essentially goes through then if the club wants. But he signed in 2019, they signed him around the same time they signed Acuna. At the start of the season, they signed him to a seven-year, $35 million contract. And again, when the contract was signed, he was still under team control. He would have been until the end of that season, the 2019 season. And it could wind up undervaluing his abilities, but he had suffered a fractured elbow in 2016. And so when he was offered this deal in 2019, he said, you know what? For me, this represents financial stability. I had this situation of fracturing my elbow in 2016 and wondering if I was going to have anything. And he looked at this deal, and he said, "This is security for me and for my mother." And of course, anyone who takes care of their mother is really high up in my book.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's. Uh, I guess they're they're learning about their their players, which is good. They're learning about the psyche, what motivates them, because that why is important. I guess with a contract, some guys the why is something like that: take care of your family. The other why is legacy. You know, they want to. They want they want to see how good they can become in the history of the game, um, but yeah, that's a great point. People, I guess, outside looking in, I and I certainly didn't with my question. Look at the why, and I would think that's a that's a great pressure point.
1: Yeah, and then I had a couple more players I thought were interesting. If you want to talk about uh, a battery, a pitcher, and a catcher, Spencer Strider. Here's a good young man, and he's a, their right-handed pitcher, right-handed starter for them, in case your listeners don't know. So they signed him before the 2023 season for a six-year, $75 million contract. So that's an average of $12.5 million a year, although the, the payments are not equal. They signed him for that when he was 24 years old. And at the time of the signing, he only had 33 appearances.
0: Yeah, well, they and that they they look at these guys and they must have a great uh, great confidence in their minor league system to develop players seamlessly to become major leaguers because that would extend their evaluation further than those 33 games and then also have a great trust in their scouts to be able to evaluate these guys from you know the time they're 18 19 20 to the time these big big contracts are being laid out because that's that even though you know we're looking at it, we're looking at it like the team got a bargain. When you say that out loud, twelve million dollars a year—that's that's a lot of money for for anybody. But I guess the, the the trust in their system, the trust in their development, and really the trust in their draft. Because if they're drafting the right players and they're keeping them, um, that's that's kudos to them. But they they also do a great job. You know, you talked about one trade person earlier with Olsen. The, the catcher you're speaking of is also a trade factor too. So they're, they're professional scouts. They're MLB scouts that are out looking at professional players. And advanced scouts, those are guys that need to have the uh, – they probably need to get a raise too because that was a great sign behind the dish.
1: Sean Murphy.
0: And oh, I, I agree
1: them. with you. They must be really good evaluators of talent. They must have some uh, trade secrets or something in the water down there. Because they're doing a good job. Yeah, they wrapped up Sean Murphy through 2028 on his contract. And again, a club option for 2029. They signed him before this season to a $73 million six-year contract. And at the time of the signing, he was heading into his first year of arbitration. He would not have been a free agent until after 2026. And, of course, they got Murphy from the um, A's in a three-team, that big trade, where the Braves sent William Contreras to the Brewers and yeah. the prospects involved. Well, so Contreras is a practice.
0: great – think about that. Contreras is a phenomenal young hitter, and he's you know was, was coming up as a catcher. To give him away, they had to be really sure about Murphy. And I think Murphy's one of the top three catchers in baseball right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. And he's he's actually, you know, one of these examples that's becoming more and more in vogue of a two way catcher, the good on offense and good on defense.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's a middle of the lineup guy and he hits for power. I think he'll hit for average eventually. Um, but the trade secret for the Braves and again, this is outside looking in and just having opportunities to chat with people off the cuff is they just let their guys do their job. They let their scouts go out there and do what they were trained to do, do do what they've done for 30, 40, 50 years. And uh, it's not that they don't challenge them. I think that's natural to challenge people. But when they let these guys do their job, they're going to find good talent. And I hope the rest of Major League Baseball starts following suit with Atlanta.
1: Well – I think that you are correct in that they have built a model that other teams might start to follow. Not unlike 20 years ago, the Oakland A's built this model of sabermetrics, and all the other teams went in that direction. And now, hopefully, the pendulum will swing the other way.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have, we'll have to have Hollywood get involved and have a movie about it. That usually helps to usually a best selling book and a movie.
1: That's oh, right. That's uh, right. I, I hope. Um, I hope somebody really good plays me on this podcast in the movie, Dave. Oh I,
0: no, I'm not. I don't know if we'll get a movie. I'm talking about the Atlanta Braves movie. Yeah,
1: I know, but still, oh. I think we could get a bit part. You know, oh. the podcast yeah. that called the movie, kind
0: of. Not, not, Yeah, let's see what we can do. See what we can do. you who would play you.
1: I don't know. I hope it's someone good looking.
0: Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll have to take a poll of the audience. Maybe we'll do that. In my next question of the day was who will who will play Kelly in the movie. We'll see what they come up with. We may have to give them choices because we, we don't want to leave it that out of bounds for people. But, um, yeah, who, who else did we miss on that long list of uh, wonderful contract extensions by the Braves?
1: I think we might have covered it. One thing I wanted to say was that this is a two-way street because these players clearly like playing for Atlanta. And I Googled, I mean, I literally went into Google and I said, why do players like playing in Atlanta? and Let me tell you, they have a very loyal fan base. They have excellent attendance at their games. They have increasing attendance every year. They have a commitment to winning.
0: That's it right there.
1: Yeah. And like you mentioned before, a lot of the players are local. And you look back, I mean, you talk about Leo Mazzoni and Bobby Cox. They won 1991 to 2005. They won the division every year except in 1994. And I think they're heading in that direction under Brian Snicker. Yeah,
0: it's, it's just been a model of consistency. And I, I, I agree with your points why. I mean, if a, if a team is going to commit to winning and you know who you're going to be playing with every day and you're comfortable with your development as a team, but also individually, because these guys get paid as independent contractors. They're, they're being paid based on personal production. If you can, you can't predict those things, but if you can feel comfortable with the consistency of that, to me, that's a winner. I don't care if the team plays on Mars or plays in Atlanta. Uh, and then if you win, people will come and watch you. It's, it's you know, you hope that people don't go to Oakland because Oakland doesn't commit to winning right now. And, and that's a shame. But yeah, and Atlanta's ballpark is, it's like an amusement park. So when people go, it's family friendly. It's, there's restaurants, there's actual rides there. Um, they make it a, an event around the game. So they, they do a good job presenting their product without a doubt. And that, that stream, that stream of, uh, leadership, ownership to management, to on field, you know, coaches and and the skipper, and then to the players, if you get that line of sight and then to your scouts, you can't get stopped because there's not a lot of that going around nowadays.
1: Ownership to front office, to managers, to players.
0: That's it. And then to your people that are out in the field, let them do their job. It's a novel approach, right? We we talk about it in, in business every day. If you, if you hire good people and everybody has an idea what the principles of play are, let them do their job. Let them them do what they're hired to do. Don't handcuff them. And I think a lot of our scouts get handcuffed nowadays um, where they may not feel that their voices are being heard, hence the name of our production company, Real Voices of the Game. And, uh, you know, I think if teams take a look at what Atlanta is doing specifically in the scouting department, let, let, listen to the guys that have been there done that there's an awful lot of knowledge and wisdom behind those eyes and in that gut and then obviously challenge it challenge it they'll let them defend it but uh, I think they'll be happy what they hear if they allow that to happen agree. Um, yeah so not, that was great I think uh, for Fernando to the Atlanta Braves and and um, are we ready to move on to your your food segment always last week you had me under the gun and um I think I shared my without without trying to do it. I guess I used my popcorn in the pan analogy earlier. That wasn't that intentional. And then uh, got to my popcorn snack later on in the show. So you're going you're going a little Italian today.
1: Well, Dave, there's a story. Um, starting right after this podcast recording and going for about the next 48 hours, one of my eight older brothers and I perform our annual ritual, of canning tomatoes at the peak of their ripeness, just like my Italian grandparents used to do. So what we do, and I don't know if any of your grandparents or great-grandparents did this, but we source 250 pounds of tomatoes. My grandparents grew them, but we have to go get them at a farm. And we preserve them in the quart jars, and we eat them during the year, and we give them away as gifts, and they're delicious because every time you open them in the middle of winter, it's like a little piece of summer in a jar.
0: How do you preserve them now, not to stop their flow? What do you, what do you, you put them in a jar, where do you store them?
1: Yep. We, um, some we cook, and some we can uncooked, and we put in there salt and fresh basil, and then we put them in a hot water bath and essentially surround them with boiling water for about 45 minutes. So you get the seal, you know, you use the old ball jars like grandma used to use and it seals the top. So they're vacuum, I guess, I don't know if you call it vacuum packed, but they're sealed. And then we put them down in the basement and use them all year.
0: Huh. That's uh, yeah, my, I, same thing, grew up Italian. I, Mom, grandmother made their own sauce and prided it on it. Sauce in a jar was a was a no no. But oh, um,
1: yeah, no, we don't we don't buy sauce in for us or for people we love. Yeah, um, and <laughs> so with these tomatoes, if we're gonna talk about something good to eat while watching the game, I'm gonna go old school with a good old fashioned pasta with red sauce, and it might be a pasta all amatriciana which has either bacon in it or like a cured pig jowl, um, which I realize isn't like a word that normal people throw around, is called guanciale. Um, You could do a marinara sauce. You could do a sundae sauce with meatballs. You could use penne pasta. You could use rigatoni. But Dave, there are rules. If you use spaghetti, you can eat it with just a fork and you can eat it with a fork and a spoon. But make no mistake: if you cut your spaghetti, you are no friend of mine.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I agree with you on the cutting of it.
1: I knew you wouldn't cut yours.
0: No, not allowed. You get the, uh, you get the wooden spoon. If you, you get cut. All Italian kids know what the wooden spoon was <laughs> yes, for. Yes.
1: <laughs> I think my older brothers did. I didn't really get it. It had uh, probably phased out by that time, or yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. That tired.
0: Yeah, there was uh, but so uh, the the tomatoes and you know we grew them too growing up, and I remember people just eating them like apples sometimes. And that's I don't want to go Seinfeld on you, but tomatoes never took off as a hand fruit. And I, my daughter corrected me when I called tomato a vegetable the other day that it's not a vegetable. Right. Um. I, I mean, I the way you're describing it, I vision myself eating it like a fruit. What how come it hasn't come off as a hand fruit?
1: That's a great question, and it is very Seinfeldian.
0: Yeah, we'll have to throw that to our audience as well. There's two two that we couldn't answer today, and we'll we'll expect our audience to respond to both and and uh, do it in an in an uninsulting fashion, please. Although I can I can take the hit, but uh, yeah, I want your opinion on that as well. So yeah, that's that's uh, a good stuff. Bread, no bread. How do you do the the pot? Um,
1: I I'm a big fan of bread.
0: Yeah. And do you guys make your own as well, or is that okay to purchase on the outside?
1: You know, I think that there are a lot of good brands, you know, at the market now. We can get some really nicely made local baguettes and such at our market. Once in a while, I'll whip up my own. I'll definitely do that.
0: Yeah. We just got a nice Italian deli down here, which is, you know, the the Florida used to be, I get, people don't consider the South, I guess, because of... Uh, there's a lot of transplants. Well, our area of uh, Myrtle's becoming like that as well. And we just had a family move in from Philadelphia and open up a deli, uh, an old school deli, which we're excited about. So just opened up last week, grand opening. So we will be supporting that. And anything I can get there now, once I get to know the family, um, I'll be okay with buying things out of a out of jar from them if I understand how they make it without question. So um, I thought of a question. I just ran through my mind. Oh, Ita- Italian restaurant. I thought about this when you sent me the show notes. I was at it. We have, a again, a new, a new Italian restaurant just opened up as well. And my wife posted on it on social yesterday. What's your go-to meal at an Italian restaurant? Now you're not watching a game. Maybe you're watching it out to know that that place is okay.
1: Um, I think a, one of these um, kind of, Barometers of good food at an Italian restaurant is the chicken scarpariello, which is a seared chicken dish that actually has some hot sausage in it and maybe some sliced hot cherry peppers in it. And it's one of these dishes where, if the restaurant does it right, then I think it's a good restaurant.
0: Good deal. Yeah, there's I always um, I always, again, maybe it's from home. But my mother, grandmother was always, they they made a great lasagna. So whenever I go to a new Italian restaurant, I don't even look at the menu I say, I order lasagna the first time and then I go, I go chicken parmesan the second time. And if those are good, then I kind of branch out. Uh, And I always test the meatballs as a, uh, as an appetizer, just to kind of see, see where they're at. So that place has passed all three tests, uh, our new one. So we'll be frequenting that one probably once a week.
1: And now, did you guys call it sauce or gravy?
0: Sauce.
1: Yeah, too.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Gra- gravy, What? I never heard of that.
1: Yeah, I think it's like, it uh, might be more like a Brooklyn Queens thing.
0: I'll, I'll have to ask around. Yeah, I had, had not, uh, I don't cut my pasta. I've never called it gravy. And uh, I'm still getting used to parsley in, in my meatballs. My mom used to put that in there and it used to kind of make me a little uneasy. <laughs> it was long and green and stringy and I used to ask her, don't put them in there. But now I appreciate the taste of uh, or the the little extra that parsley brings to the food. So but uh, well, great, great show today. What did we miss? What did we forget to cover? What do you want to leave the audience with and how can they find you?
1: I would like the audience to find me on Twitter and Instagram at at three inning fan three is all spelled out. And there should be a couple of videos dropping this week, so tune in and be surprised to learn something in ninety seconds with one of my videos.
0: Yeah, and those 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 will drive some of the stuff we do on the show. So contribute to supporting Kelly on those. And we had actually uh, I put a post out the other day about rule changes. Uh, this was on Cot's Corner with Jim Cot, the commissioner. Put out a a letter to the Hall of Famers. Giving them feedback on the questions they asked during the induction ceremonies in their private meeting, where he, his marketing team, put out uh, questionnaires to all of the fans. I know I didn't get one. I don't know if you got one. And unanimously, all the fans said that they love the rule changes. And uh, I put that out to our audience the other day, and boy, they tore that apart like you wouldn't believe on Facebook and Instagram. So um, they had their opinions because none of them, ironically, were questioned either. So is there any, uh, and just just kind of closing the show, any rule change that you're liking and anyone that you're like, oh, God, um, wish they'd stop that. The big one in ours was the ghost runner. People thought that was a joke.
1: I hate the ghost runner. I really don't like the ghost runner. I don't think they need it anymore. I mean, I think it was kind of a steppy, stepping stone to the pitch clock. They wanted to shorten games, but didn't know where to start. But there aren't that many extra inning games. So just let them play out like real baseball.
0: Yeah. Jim Tomey had a great suggestion um, that met it in the middle. He thought, let him play three innings because the big concern was, well, we're going to be depleting our pitching. And, okay, that's a valid concern. But, again, like you said, how many extra inning games are there and let them play it out. But um, he thought play three innings after regu- regular innings go. So after nine, you play three. And if there's still no um, winner, you put a runner on first. And that way you get back to old-fashioned baseball where guys are forced to maybe bunt them over uh, move a guy from second to third. Cause right now they just put a guy on second. To me, it's like the red zone that they, they do in football. I can't stand that either. They put it, put the team on the 20 and let them take pop shots at the end zone. It, uh, it, it inflates, it inflates or deflates statistics, however you want to look at it. And I just, uh, that, that's reminds me of, uh, gym class kickball. We wouldn't even have gotten away with that in the in the fifth grade in the gym <laughs> class. So is there a rule that you like?
1: I like the pitch clock. I do. And I think that it has taken its toll on some of the older pitchers. And I am sympathetic to that. They perhaps weren't ready for the increased pace of play. But I do like seeing the end of the game before bed.
0: Yeah. tonight I've become a three-inning fan because I still haven't gotten used to the game's ending so early. So I'm turning it on at like 9.30 and it's like the last inning of the game. So I've become, I became a three-inning fan also just because I'm turning it on too late. A lot of the, a lot of the traditionals are liking the pitch clock. I'm hearing a lot from former players. Uh, they like it. I, I see the value in it. The part that I'm stubborn when kind of like the shift is that I wish that the hitters had forced the shift back organically and that we didn't have to over legislate the game. Kind of like the pitch clock. I always promote work fast as a pitcher because as a hitter, I don't like it as I hate the pitch clock as a hitter because I want time to, I want as much time as I want to process it. I like that cat and mouse between the pitcher and the hitter. And I think that's lost. But as a pitcher standpoint, I love that they're working fast. I think that's how they should work because it's, it's advantage pitcher every single time, in my opinion.
1: I'm with you. I like to see these things come about organically and not by legislation. That was exactly my thought on the shift. And when they regulated the shift, I thought they really coddled players who couldn't learn to hit to the opposite field. Oh,
0: it's all it was awful. And now guys are starting to do it and that they're but. Anyway, we're seeing young teams like the Orioles. Uh, I, I like how they're playing the game. I like how the Braves are playing the game. There's some the, the pendulum is starting to swing back. We're still seeing too many strikeouts, uh, too many guys trying to swing for the fences. But I'm I'm hopeful that the successes of teams like Atlanta, like Baltimore, um, you know, maybe we'll start to monkey see, monkey do a little bit like we did way back with the uh, as you mentioned earlier, the movie Moneyball and the A's. So. But a uh, oh, great show today, Kelly. I know we started a little later than we wanted. We, we got close to an hour. So hopefully we're not making you. You won't be held in contempt of court if you show up late today. Oh, I might
1: the- be held in contempt of tomato canning if I show up
0: oh, late. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's even worse. You get, uh, you get put you to work here. So you can blame it on me. If I got to write you a note, let me know um, that you're late. But great show today. We've got episode 258, date in October with KFT. Uh, 258 on our network. This will air immediately. We'll produce this and get it out immediately. But thanks again for a great show. We'll see you in two weeks right after Labor Day. We'll announce the the weekend before what day we're coming on. Uh, Probably end up being that Tuesday, but we'll figure it out behind the scenes. But Kelly, thanks so much again for a great show.
1: Talk to you soon, Dave. Bye-bye.